You developed lifestyle hacks to help you disassociate? We talked about meditation, which was a Mm. big one. Um, Exercise, big one. Uh, I got into hot-cold transitions. Gratitude's a big one. So take me through your day then, because I think this will reveal a lot of your habits. Sure. So let's take a, a... given day in Boston. Yeah. The day actually starts for me a little bit the night before because I'm getting into a, f- uh, a framework for, you know, the next day. Um, a few days a week, I work out with a trainer early in the morning. So I'll actually pack everything up for that. Well, I've got my, my workout clothes out. I'll have the, what I'm going to wear to work the next day. Uh, I'll, I'll probably have written down like two or three things that I'm going to focus on the next day. And and then like sleep, because, you know, building whoop, you think a lot about sleep. I, uh, you know, I sleep in a really cold bedroom, uh, really Why? dark bedroom. Why cold and dark? It's just shown to give you higher quality sleep. Yeah. And I try to go to bed at a, a somewhat consistent time. This is a little trickier because my wife's kind of a night owl and I like to go to bed a little earlier, but, uh, so I'll probably go to bed between, I don't know, 1130 and midnight. And then I'll wake up at around 630. Controversial question about your wife then. Does your sleep deteriorate with your wife in the bed? It doesn't because we have, uh, we've got good intimacy. Like we've got good bed cuddle habits, you know, it's like a cuddle in time. Yeah. Yeah. We, we, uh, we've done a good job coexisting in a, in a bedroom environment. Although that's an interesting thing you can track on whoop. So if people really want to know whether or not they sleep better or worse with a partner, you can literally record that in the whoop journal Um. in the app. Uh, so in a second, I want to hear what's in your whoop journal (laughs) and what you're you're tracking against. Uh, so cold room, uh, consistent bedtime. Um, yeah. And then I wake up and I'm, I'm like out the door, really quick shower, workout clothes, got my stuff. I always give my wife kisses before I leave. That's like a nice relationship hack, uh, while she's, while she's sleeping. And then, uh, I work out for an hour with my trainer. I'll do a steam room after that freezing cold shower. Um, I do a breakfast that's mostly like egg whites. It's mostly proteins, like egg whites, like avocado, bacon, that kind of stuff. Two points there. So the first was working out in the morning. Yeah. Is there any like data or science around that being advantageous? So back to being able to control the controllables. I like to work out in the morning in large part because it means I can then stay at work later if I need to. Ah, okay. What I hate is when I go to work um, without having worked out in the morning, and I'm supposed to play like squash that evening, and then a couple things come up around 6 p.m. and all of a sudden I realize I'm not going to be able to get out the door, mm-hmm. and so then you know you know you don't exercise. So the nice thing about working out first is like okay I've checked that box, and then the other thing was this the cold water, cold water. Yeah, talk to me about why you do that and how that helps. So there's something I think to be said for doing things that naturally make you happy even if in the moment they're a little painful. And uh, for me, being in the cold is one of those things. Like 
I feel a, a huge jolt of adrenaline from it. Uh, it also forces me to breathe properly. And I think anything you can do that helps you breathe properly or, or forces you to breathe properly is good for you. Uh, and then I feel kind of happy after doing it, like like this little injection of happiness. And so uh, I end 100% of showers that I take cold and as cold as possible, uh, the colder the better. And then the the steam room aspect or the sauna aspect, depending on where I am, is, uh, I mean, there's a the fair amount of research that shows if you do a steam room or a sauna a few days a week, it is likely to increase longevity. Mm. I would say I like the cold more than the hot, but anyway. I would say I'm the opposite. My, my girlfriend is a breathwork practitioner. Oh, okay. Coach. So obviously you understand what comes with that and cold water is a big part of what she um, encourages on me. So she jumps in these ice baths and I'm like, I'm trying not to feel emasculated. I'm like putting my toe in and I'm like coming up with reasons, but no, she's got me into it. So so what kind of breath work do you do? Um, I don't even know the name of it. She's got her own method. She teaches classes. She's doing classes in London at the moment, big groups, one-on-one sessions. She's doing... Um, she does sessions with lots of people that come on this podcast, in fact. Oh, cool. Because they end up getting getting to know her. So, but yeah, I don't know what type of breath work it is, but it's an hour in a room, like the... Yeah, the double inhale. Yeah. Game changer. Just learning yeah, I think that they're we don't cool. breathe. I think properly. it's amazing. Yeah. That's a huge industry that's that's feels like a wave coming into shore because this word breath work showed up like 18, 24 months ago over here. And now it's everywhere with like Wim Hof. That's a good point. I mean, Wim Hof, yeah, I think Wim Hof pushed a lot of it, especially around the cold. Mm-hmm. And I, look, I think it's taking off for good reason, in part because, again, back to controlling things you can control, you can literally control your breath in a second. And there's an interesting whoop hook to all this because one of the core things that led me to starting the company was discovering this statistic called heart rate variability. And heart rate variability is essentially this lens into your autonomic nervous system. It's the amount of time between successive beats of the heart. So it's a little confusing, but if your heart beats at 60 beats per minute, it's not beating every second. Like it might be 0.7 seconds and then 1.3 seconds and then 0.6 seconds and 1.4 seconds. And it turns out that variability of time between successive beats is actually a good thing because it's a sign that your body's able to regulate in its environment. And your autonomic nervous system literally consists of sympathetic and parasympathetic activity. Now, sympathetic is activation. So that's heart rate up, blood pressure up, respiration up. Um, Often it's what's happening when you're feeling a little bit of stress or you're exercising, right? Now, parasympathetic is all the opposite. Heart rate down, blood pressure down, respiration down. It's what helps you fall asleep. But where this all comes back to breath work is literally inhaling. That's sympathetic. That's parasympathetic. So just by controlling your breathing, you can decide whether you want to be sympathetic dominant, parasympathetic dominant. You can increase your heart rate variability. You can decrease it. And that's something that's in your control. And heart rate variability is one of the core statistics that we look at as a lens into how restored your body is. I noticed that because my friend Logan, sent, he went up for a night out. 
He got drunk. It was a, yeah, a that'll, wedding. That'll it, yeah. yeah. And then he screenshotted his, his whoop dashboard the next day and, was, and put it into our chat and went, fuck. Because everything yeah. was red. <laughs> and, and he was trying to explain to me heart rate variability and why it was important, but I couldn't quite understand. Um, and I remember trying to, trying to read about why it was important, but I, I knew you were coming here, so I thought I'd ask you myself. Because I've heard you talk about the importance of heart rate variability. I understand now what it is, but why is it such an important indicator? And what are the things that we do that make it plummet? So the fascinating thing about heart rate variability is it's been measured since like roughly the, the 80s. And the physiology research that I was reading in college was showing that uh, Olympic power lifters were using heart rate variability to determine how much they should lift. So based on whether they had a low or a high heart rate variability in the morning, and they'd get hooked up to an electrocardiogram, like this is an intense thing. And then they would go decide how much they were going to lift based on what their reading was. I was like, that's kind of interesting. Turned out um, cyclists were doing it in the 80s. The CIA was using heart rate variability for lie detection tests. Uh, doctors, uh, cardiologists were using heart rate variability to predict whether um, former heart failure patients were going to have a heart attack again. So I'm thinking to myself, this is a pretty powerful statistic that I've never heard of that feels like everyone should be measuring. And, uh, and so that's really, that was one of the core insights in building WHOOP was that you need to be able to measure heart rate variability continuously. And in particular, it's going to play a huge role in helping uh, us understand the status of your body's readiness and uh, how well you're sleeping. So those are two ways that WHOOP is primarily using heart rate variability. Uh, you know, things that decrease heart rate variability, uh, dehydration, bad diet, al we just talked about alcohol, um, heavy exercise, uh, you know, heavy um, psychological stress. Often people are surprised how just the wrong conversation with their partner the night before bed can totally throw their sleep out of whack or their heart rate variability out of whack. So it's a very powerful statistic. It's a fascinating statistic. And I'm mostly glad like a lot more people are measuring it. You are always one decision away from taking your business to the next level. And a decision that's helped me to transform my business is moving over to NetSuite, who I'm excited to say are a sponsor of this podcast. If you don't know already, NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one platform and one source of truth. It's reduced IT costs because it lives in the cloud so you can access it from anywhere and the cost of managing and running multiple systems because it's in one unified business management suite. My team and I don't have to worry about tasks being manual and clunky and it means that I can be more efficient and to focus on more important things like bringing you the best episodes and guests on this show. So I become one of the 37,000 companies that have already made the move over to NetSuite. NetSuite has extended its one of a kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. So head to netsuite.com slash Bartlett for a free product tour. Back to the episode. You are always one decision away from taking your business to the next level. And a decision that's helped me to transform my business is moving over to NetSuite, who I'm excited to say are a sponsor of this podcast. If you don't know already, NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one platform and one source of truth. 
It's reduced IT costs because it lives in the cloud, so you can access it from anywhere. And the cost of managing and running multiple systems because it's in one unified business management suite. My team and I don't have to worry about tasks being manual and clunky. And it means that I can be more efficient and to focus on more important things like bringing you the best episodes and guests on this show. So I become one of the 37,000 companies that have already made the move over to NetSuite. NetSuite has extended its one of a kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. So head to netsuite.com slash Bartlett for a free product tour. Back to the episode.